Our New Testament reading is taken from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And our sermon, this is our sermon text. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And basically what's happening to this point uh, in the book of Acts is uh, the Spirit's been poured out upon the church and the church is spreading like wildfire. That's what's happening in this context. So Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For behold, for before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus, God's holy word. May he write upon our hearts, and you may be seated. Brothers and sisters, uh, the theme of our 
Our sermon this morning is very simple. You see it in the title of the sermon. There is no stopping Jesus. There is no stopping Jesus. That is certainly what we see proven in the resurrection, is it not? And really in all that you see that follows in the book of Acts. There is no stopping Jesus. Really, stopping Jesus has never even been a possibility. Very important for us to hear that again today. Stopping Jesus has never even been a possibility. That's the theme of the whole Bible, really, we could say. Since man's fall in the garden, and that first ancient promise that Jesus, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. Yes, from that ancient promise to the end of the age, when King Jesus returns and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and his Christ, there is no stopping Jesus. Praise God. That's really what we see in the gospel accounts as well. There we see the Son of God becoming a man in order to redeem his people. Demons running for cover. Disease, sickness, deformities eradicated. Everyone whom Jesus touched was healed. Every one of them. Dead raised. Men brought to faith and changed forever. And yes, the gospel writers finished their account telling of death itself being defeated in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we meet on Sundays, isn't it? This is the day of resurrection. We remember the resurrection. We remember the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, then we remember he's exalted to the right hand of God, even as we confess in our confession, right? Exalted to the right hand of God. He reigns. And he's waiting for all of his enemies to be put under his feet. And what he does, what Jesus does, is invincible. We very much need to keep that in mind, really, all the time. It's one of the reasons we gather for worship. You need to hear it again. Our Christ is risen. He does as he pleases in heaven and earth, and he certainly builds his church. There's no stopping Jesus. Now, we see that truth prominently displayed in the book of Acts, don't we? Luke begins his writing the book of Acts when, he, as he does, he refers back to his gospel account in this way. He wrote there, the beginning of the book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke, in his writing of the book of Acts, then relates all that Jesus continued to do. Raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus began to build his church and continued to do so and continues to do so to this day. That's what he's doing. See, we're a part of this new age now. It's proper to use that expression, right? 
We're a part of this new age that has dawned since Christ was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is building His church. And here is, here's our point with respect to there's no, no stopping Jesus. Jesus Christ will build His church. And there's nothing Satan or the powers of darkness really can do about it. There really isn't. There really isn't. And we praise God for it. Jesus, the risen, exalted Jesus is always building his church. And that's what we see, particularly in the book of Acts. There's no stopping Jesus. So that's the wonderful truth we see expressed in the passage that we read. And we see here two questions answered, I think. And these will be our two main points this morning in our sermon. How long do I have, Curtis? Two hours, maybe? Thank you, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Two questions answered in this text. The first is this. Can the church of Jesus be crushed? That's the first. And you know the answer to this already. No. The church of Jesus Christ can never be crushed. Second question is this. That's answered in our text. Who is in control? Really? Who's in control? And we see that answered very clearly here. Jesus Christ, risen to the right hand of the Father, exalted. He is the one in control. That's very clear here. Whatever the enemy is seeking to do, it's Jesus Christ who's in control. Right? I mean, we understand. The devil's very active in this world. We get that. We understand that. The question, though, the great question is, who's in control? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, the first question. Can the church of Jesus be crushed? Yes, you know the answer to this already. (laughs) But you need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of it, don't we? Can the church of Jesus Christ be crushed? No. And just a bit here, actually before we get to our text, a bit of background is leading up to this in the book of Acts. We said already that the church is spreading like wildfire. That's what's going on here. Jesus is building his church, and we said there's nothing that Satan could do to stop it. Day of Pentecost, think of, we kind of walk through the chapters up to this point. Now, Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Having ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus pours forth his Spirit upon his church. The apostolic band and those gathered in the upper room, a, a large crowd gathers. Peter preaches in the power of the Spirit to the Jews gathered there, and 3,000 are added to the church. 3,000. And the church continues to increase. Luke writes that the Lord added daily to daily those who were saved. Daily increase. Daily increase. That this is what I want you to see here. There's, Jesus Christ is very much alive and there's no stopping what he's doing here. Daily increase. Acts chapter 3 and 4. Peter and John enter the temple. Remember here, the lame man is healed by the power of Jesus. What a spectacle. I mean, picture this. All the people, they they run to Solomon's portico to see what's going on here. This lame man who'd never walked has been healed. Peter preaches. Many believe. Peter and John are arrested. The enemy doesn't like this, right? Peter and John are arrested. And at this point, the number of saints has reached about 5,000. The point, there's no stopping Jesus. Peter and John are then released. 
the church prays. Great signs and wonders are done through the apostles and the power of Jesus. Great power is evidenced in the preaching. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This is why we see these things happening here. Many signs and wonders are done through the apostles authenticating their unique office and preaching. Luke writes that none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. In other words, the apostles couldn't be rivaled in the power that Jesus displayed through them, whether in their preaching or the healing you see go on. And there's that sense in which everybody just had to stand back because something marvelous was going on here. And the heart of it, very important to see, the heart of it is the apostolic preaching. Because that's the message that the Spirit of Christ is using to quicken people to life here. That's what's happening. Luke writes, verse 14, chapter 5, More than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So, wow. 3,000. 5,000. Multitudes. <laughs> That's a lot of people. But how many... Do you think, brothers and sisters, how many do you think, you got to widen your horizon here, how many do you think have already been saved today? Just today. May 23rd. 3,000? 5,000? 10,000? Certainly. And more. I mean, the Lord's Day has been going on for a while now today, hasn't it? <laughs> Started in the East, right? China's a big nation, isn't it? I wonder how many people were saved in China today. Undoubtedly. Thousands. Thousands. See, Jesus Christ is building his church. We're a part of it. And there's nothing that Satan or the powers of darkness can do to stop him. Nothing. So yes, here, Jesus Christ making it very clear. He, he was very, he's very much alive. Very clear here. <laughs> he's very much alive. His apostles were preaching... And he was building his church. And the enemies of Christ didn't like it. But what could they do? As long as the apostles were preaching. See, that's key here. It really is. Using the means of grace. Preaching. There's nothing that Satan could do. Now we come to our text. We're finally to the text. How long do I have? Curtis? <laughs> here we are. <laughs> we see the same thing going on here, don't we? Well, here we see a crisis now, right? Where we read Acts chapter 5. We see a crisis. The church, is it about to be crushed? Now again, you know the answer to that in advance, but, but take yourself back to the historical context here. Humanly speaking, it would appear that the church is about to be crushed. 
The anti-resurrectionists are in a rage. Verse 17, the high priest rose up. All who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So the high priest, Sadducees, they take action. They don't like this. They've had enough. Scripture says they seethe with jealousy. Now the anti-resurrectionists, that's what I'm calling the Sadducees here. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. You kids, you know, this is how you remember who the Sadducees are. They didn't believe in the resurrection, that's why they're Sadducee. Easy way to remember it. They didn't believe in the resurrection, they, did, they denied the existence of spirits, the immortality of the soul. They're the modernists of the day, the Sadducees. You can think of it that way too, right? They're the liberals. They're the liberals, the theological liberals of the day, which means, of course, they don't believe. Liberalism centers in unbelief. They don't believe. So, they've had enough. They did not believe in the resurrection. Well, you know what? They're in a really tough spot now, aren't they? Jesus had been raised from the dead. Oh, they knew all about the empty tomb. Or the Roman guard, they knew all about that. But see, unbelief doesn't care, right? Very important sort of side lesson here. Unbelief is never impressed with proofs. When I'm in a posture, if a person's in a posture of unbelief, you can give them all the proofs in the world. It won't matter. Now, not to say we don't care about historical evidence as we do, but, but the point with unbelief is a person's entrenched in it, they're self-deceived, they're opposed to God, and they don't care about proofs. So we see that here. Now, so if you're a Sadducee, you've got a big problem now, right? The proofs of Jesus' resurrection, that he's really, they just keep rolling, you know? <laughs> the proofs just keep coming like waves, and there's not anything that, that they can do about it. The proofs that Jesus, though not bodily present, was quite alive and well. That's what we want to see in these chapters in Acts, right? Jesus is alive and well. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's the King. <laughs> He's in control. Sadducees still wanted him dead. They still wanted him dead. But a big problem for them, he wasn't dead. He wasn't dead. Now, that's actually a big mercy, too. See, a lot of people, a lot of people in our culture want Jesus dead. They don't want to think that he's alive. Thank you. Big problem for them. He's not dead. But we say, immediately we say this, don't we? A big mercy for them that he's not dead. A big mercy for them that he's not dead. And he delights to show mercy. He delights to show mercy. Even as he does it in this passage to his enemies. But the Sadducees, they hated these apostles. They hated Jesus. And they hate these apostles. These apostles who preached that Jesus was crucified for sins and raised from the dead. 
These apostles who showed forth the same power that Jesus Christ had showed forth. These apostles who preached faith in Jesus for salvation and were gaining a following of multitudes. They hated these apostles. So the high priest Sadducees are filled with jealousy. This preaching had to stop. They had killed Jesus. And they would have these apostles put to death. Again, this is why I say it's important to get yourself into the historical context here. Can the church of Jesus Christ be crushed? It would appear so. It would appear this way, right? I mean, I mean what, what, what does the, the Senate of the Jews intend to do here? What do they intend to do? What's their goal? They want these men put to death. That's their goal. That's their intention. So the apostles, they're arrested, they're jailed, they're held for trial, and presumably to be sentenced to death. And we know how the story works out, right? <laughs> but, but look at it from the standpoint, humanly speaking, of impossibility just now. And great opposition to the church. Satan, in effect, through these enemies, pushing back. They hated Jesus. They hate these apostles. And they want the preaching to stop. And they, dear friends, they have a lot of power, humanly speaking. I mean, this is the equivalent of our, you know, you could say this is the equivalent of our Senate and Supreme Court wrapped into one here. Right? And you got the high priest examining them here. He's basically the chief justice of the Supreme Court. This is a, this is a real fix, humanly speaking. Right? I mean, the court's stacked. <laughs> you got unbelief operating? What's going to happen here? It looks, it looks like things look very great, very believed. So the apostles, the leaders, these are the leaders of the church at this point. They're arrested. And it would seem to, put, it would seem to bring an end to the whole movement if they're put to death. These, these are the leaders. There aren't any other leaders. This is it. It would seem that way, then, humanly speaking. But, but, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The same Jesus that this morning we are worshiping. The same Jesus who in his power is speaking as the word is preached. So there's that sense in which always when the preacher is preaching, right? If he's preaching truth, if he's preaching the gospel. You want to lose sight of the preacher. This morning you want to lose sight of the preacher and just hear your Lord speaking to you now. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm alive. Very much alive. I am in control. Whatever barriers, resistances you see around you in your life or in your culture, guess what? It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ will build his church, and there's nothing that Satan can do about it. So, Covenant Reformed Church has a happy future, <laughs> right? May not be an easy one, but a happy future. Apostles are arrested, they're jailed. 
and wonderful. We all know this story. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? What the Lord brings about here. We see the simple divine solution to this dilemma. It's so very simple, and it's so easily executed. What does it teach us? The deliverance now. What does it teach us? It teaches us this, that Jesus can deliver his people anytime, anytime he chooses to do so, so long as it serves his glory. Of course, sometimes we realize, you know, believers get martyred. They've been martyred. But, of course, the church is also built on the blood of the saints. It's been well, it's been well said, right? But Jesus can deliver his people anytime he chooses. That, I think that's a simple lesson of what goes on here. So what do we see? What's the, what's the solution? Well, Jesus, from his throne, this is pretty simple, actually, he dispatches his angel. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Verse 19, During the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So what do we see here? Deliverance. The angel opens the doors. He brings the apostles past the guards. Uh, maybe the angel renders them frozen in place. They're certainly oblivious to what's going on here. They don't know what's happened. No problem. This isn't a problem for Jesus to deliver his saints. He watches from heaven over his church. This has never been a problem. So here, dispatches his angel. The angel gives the command. Don't you love this? What's the command that comes from the angel here? Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go to the temple. Keep preaching. And we see the apostles' quick obedience. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, isn't it? Daybreak. They open the doors of the temple, and there's a line of apostles there that would come in and keep preaching now. But don't lose sight of this. It is under threat of death. It is under threat of death. How are they so bold? Anybody want boldness in your life? (laughs) How are they so bold? How is it that? Wow, this is amazing. Go to the temple. There they are. There's no stopping Jesus. Simple lesson. No stopping Jesus. Now on to our second question. It's really been answered already, but we say it's answered even more so here, with sort of with an exclamation mark. Second question, you remember, who's in control? Really? Now, who's in control? We see here that Jesus' enemies' plans are entirely foiled. Verse 21 following, When the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senators of Israel, sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. So surprise. Empty jail cell. Doors still locked. Guards stationed outside. Surprise. Scripture says, When the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Well, they didn't have to wait very long, did they? 
Someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Double surprise. The escapees are preaching in the temple. Isn't this beautiful? (laughs) The escapees are preaching in the temple. Well, the captain and officers are now more careful. Right? Scripture says the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So now they're a little more careful now when they go to, to retrieve the apostles. You know, uh, you know uh, sirs, would you please come with us? Um, yeah, sir, this way. Yeah, would you like some water or anything? Uh, bathrooms are over here. Or over here. Uh, Come with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They're a little more careful about what they're doing because they have some sense, at least some sense, that something divine is afoot here. Some sense of it. Now, they can still resist the truth. They still tend to resist the truth, but they bring bring the apostles. So Jesus' enemies, they're gathered to bring charges. And to pass a sentence of death, they hoped. As it turns out, what's going on here? As it turns out, Jesus has arranged for them, Jesus who's in control, Jesus has arranged for them to hear a sermon preached. That's what's happening here. It's amazing. Now think about the mercy of God in this. Think about the mercy of God here. Got the Senate gathered, teeming with unbelief, ready to sentence these men to death. Think about this. Jesus shows mercy, doesn't he? The risen, exalted Christ shows mercy. He brings, through his apostles, he brings the gospel to these men who hate Jesus, who hate him. Now, that was our condition for what we were saying, right? While we were still helpless enemies, right? <laughs> Christ came to us while we were resisting. Now, maybe there's, maybe there's someone here this morning who's still resisting. I don't know. Christ came to us when we were still resisting. And he preached the gospel to us even when we didn't want to hear it. We had our fingers in our ears like this. I don't want to hear. Don't tell me about Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. You know what Jesus does? He still preaches. Isn't that amazing? Amazing mercy. The high priest interrogates. We said, I mean, here's the equivalent to uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court doing the interrogation. I wonder where this is supposed to go. <laughs> I mean, again, think of, think of the believers in this situation. They think, oh no, they're being brought before the Sanhedrin. The court is stacked. You ever, have you ever worried about a stacked court? Have you ever worried about a liberal court? Ever worried about those things? I wonder who's really in control in this world. I wonder who's in control. You see it here. The high priest interrogates, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I mean, this is so hypocritical, isn't it? Well, while they disobeyed the council's order, now, by the way, very serious offense. You disobeyed the Supreme Court, pretty serious. Hmm? Notice, by the way, the high priest steadfastly avoids using the name of Jesus here. 
He knows who Jesus is. He says, you would bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, Don't you remember before the crucifixion, somebody was crying out for the blood of Jesus? Remember who that was? Remember who was inciting the crowd at that point? It was the Sadducees. Crucify him. This is so hypocritical. You would bring this man's blood upon us, he says. Unbelief is always hypocritical. Always. Like, just like we said about proofs, right? Unbelief says it wants proofs. It doesn't need proofs. I mean, there's those point, there are those points where you need to say, you know, you need to say, you don't need any more proofs. You know, you know the truth already. You just hate the truth. You hate the truth, and that's your sin. You have to confess your sin here. Well, wow, serious. High priest interrogating. You disobeyed our orders. What are the apostles going to do? Oh, we're very sorry. We didn't really mean to. Um, we, 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 uh, we must obey God rather than men. That's the answer of the apostles. Here. In the face of a threat of death. We must obey God rather than men. Who's really in control? Jesus is in control. Sanhedrin forbidden the apostles to preach in the name of Jesus. Who were they to obey? God or man? They say, well, that's simple, isn't it? That's very simple. It is very simple. Try that when you're facing death. It's very simple. And it's actually made very simple because Jesus Christ is alive. That's why it's so very simple. Jesus Christ is alive and all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And he gives power, brothers and sisters, not only to his apostles, but he gives power to all of his people. The same power, we don't mean we fill the same office, we don't mean that. But the same power in terms of testimony he gives to all of his people. That means, among other things, I don't need to fear man anymore, doesn't it? I don't need to fear man anymore. Now that doesn't mean I make myself obnoxious in how I talk to people, right? I love them. In the power of Christ, I love them. Which, it's not really that hard to do. (laughs) Because I have power to do that. So here, boldness. Beautiful, here we see, we said Peter preaches a sermon, that's really what he does here. And you see the church's gospel message. You see the the heart of the church's gospel message is very simple. Three parts. It goes like this. You're guilty. Jesus is king. And Jesus alone saves. It's a beautiful message. You're guilty. In other words, you've sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've sinned. Fundamental part of the gospel message. Ah, but this... Jesus is king. (laughs) And he's he's a king of an entirely different order, right? He's a king who saves. He's the only one who saves. He shows mercy. Isn't this wonderful? What a message. What a message. All of us have sinned, but you know what? Jesus, my Jesus, is the king, and he came to save. 
Peter says Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God for this very purpose, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is why he's exalted. To give repentance and forgiveness, a gift of God, all of grace conveyed by the power of Jesus. In other words, Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth to bring about his saving purposes and he will have his way. His church, by the power of the Spirit, will make disciples of all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Wow. Beginning in Jerusalem. Think about that. The city where they put Jesus to death. Starting there. New program. Gospel goes global. That's the new program. And we're part of this. The gospel has gone global. And that's, you know, uh, coming to the New Testament, that's what's going on, right? Pentecost, Jesus pours forth the Spirit upon his people. The gospel goes global. It goes out to the nations. And what is he doing? This is what he's doing in the world today. We asked the question earlier, how many people do you think have been saved? How many, how many people do you think will yet be saved today? I bet, I'm not a betting man, but it's an easy bet now. I bet... Thousands and thousands will yet be saved today. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow too. And the next, well, Pastor, I don't, it doesn't look that good to me, you know? Well, you know, thank God, the United States is in the center of the world. <laughs> though, I, I, though we hasten to say, wherever the people of God gather in the presence of God this morning... Wherever the people of God gather to worship, that's where the throne of God touches the earth. That's where his footstool touches the earth. So I, I said this earlier to somebody. I, I like to say this is the center of the universe. It really is. Young person, you want to know where the center of the universe is? It's not out there. It's not Chicago, thank God. <laughs> the big city, you know, where everything's at and people are excited, you know, and all that stuff. The center of the universe is here. This is the great city, here. What you're a part of. That's why Satan hates what you're doing. Oh man, he hates this gathering. He hates what we're doing this morning. He hates it. He hates it when Christ is preached. He hates it. Why? Because there's nothing he can do about it. And nothing he can, this is the only thing he fears. This is the only thing Satan fears. Right? The Word of God brought forth in faith. That's the only thing he fears. It's the only thing he respects. <laughs> he must respect it. So, you know, if the church wants to just play games, it's fine with him. The church just wants to have concerts, fine with him. Anything to take him away from the word, right? The church just wants to be cool, huh? Fine with Satan. But don't preach this word. Don't preach the gospel of Christ because there's nothing Satan can do about that. He hates what you're doing. I'll tell you, he hates your pastor. Because your pastor endeavors to feed you every week. And the heart of the message is the gospel of Christ. That's the heart of it. He hates what Pastor Morelli's doing here. Pray for your pastor. He's got a big target on his back. The enemy wishes that Pastor Morelli would just play games. 
He wishes that he would, the enemy wishes he would just soften things. Uh, the enemy wishes he would not say so much about that three-letter word, sin, huh? and repentance. Well, this is the message, right? And the apostles preach it. Peter preaches this before the council that could put him to death. And the testimony is a spirit-empowered testimony. Peter says, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Remarkable statement. He means not only, of course, we've witnessed these events of which we speak. He means not only that. We've witnessed these events of which we speak. He also means this. It's the Spirit of God who attests through us of these events and the truth of the gospel. It's the Spirit of God. So all these men in the Sanhedrin who hear the gospel preached now, they will stand before Christ for what they heard. Now, I like to think this as well, because I've made a big deal of, you know, how many think, people do you think were saved today, you know? How many people will be saved today, you know? I wonder, I wonder how many men who were presently listening, who were on the Sanhedrin, were saved through this message. I wonder. I bet. Now, I already said I'm not a betting man, but I keep breaking my word. I bet <laughs> there will be brothers that we will meet very soon who sat on this council and heard Peter's sermon. And they said, God convicted me of my sin as I heard his sermon. I was ready to put him to death. And God saved me. Now that same thing has happened many times in the history of the church. Many times. Enemies of the gospel, enemies of the church, they're about to put the servants of Christ to death. There's a simple testimony that's shared, and they're saved. It's happened many, many times. So we see the power of the testimony here. And the church continues to thrive. Apostles are beaten and charged not to preach in Jesus' name. Scripture says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus is the Christ. Can the church of Jesus Christ be crushed? Never. Never. And who is in control here? Really. Very important for us to hear this. Who is in control here this morning? In West Plains. Who's in control? Amen. Who's in control in Washington, D.C.? Now, this is, this is a challenge, isn't it? Huh? Who's really in control? Which is to say, can anything that goes on in Washington, D.C. hinder what Jesus does to build his church? Nothing. They, they don't have the power. Now, they have power. Again, we say Satan's very active. Men can do the will of Satan. That's very clear. But the issue is who's in control ultimately. That's the issue. So we're not naive about evil going on in the world or in our culture. 
Brothers and sisters, we must pray for the power of Jesus to be displayed in our day. You must pray for the power of Jesus to be displayed in West Plains, Missouri. Jesus has begun a wonderful thing here. And you know what? He's going to keep doing it. And there's nothing that can be done to stop it. Our culture is increasingly against Jesus and antagonistic to the gospel. We understand that. And the present limitations, or what have been the present limitations of the health crisis, would seem to severely hinder forth the, go the going forth of the gospel. Hinder that. The social unrest that we've seen all around us would seem to severely hinder the going forth of the gospel. The growing cultural resistance to all things Christian would seem to hinder the going forth of the gospel. But think of those apostles locked up in a jail and the religious leaders ready to sentence them to death. Who's really in control? There's no stopping Jesus. Simple message, isn't it? In order to jail his preachers, cannot stop him. A virus cannot stop him. A governor's order to shelter at home cannot stop him. Social distancing cannot stop him. Aren't you glad, though, we're almost through with that? Racial unrest cannot stop him. Political protests cannot stop him. You say, cultural resistance, rejection of all things Christian cannot stop him. The LGBTQ agenda cannot stop him. wonder what's going on in China right now. Perhaps great probably great revival. The Communist Party cannot stop him. No matter what they do. Try imprisoning your preachers. Shut down the churches. Can Jesus really be stopped? Jesus Christ is very much alive. He's building his church. We rejoice this morning that he's building his church in West Plains. And we want to trust him. We want to pray for his power to be displayed. Let me just say again that the enemy really hates what you're doing here at Covenant Reform. He really hates it. And he will oppose you. But it doesn't matter. Because there's no stopping Jesus. You proceed according to his word. You preach his word. You insist that your pastor keep preaching this word and be sure of it. There's nothing that Satan can do about it. We trust in Jesus' appointed means to build his church. We say that's what Satan really fears. That's the only thing he fears. So <clears throat> we close with this. You're a part, we're a part of a beautiful thing. Let me, let me just appeal to the young people again. You want, to be, you want to be a part of something that lasts forever? This is it.
the Church of Christ is what lasts forever. You want to be a part of something where lives are really changed and it's not just behavior modification or interventions <laughs> or whatever. You want to be a part of something where lives are really changed? This is it. This is the center. Our Lord Jesus Christ is exalted to the right hand of God. He is building his church. And there's nothing that Satan or the powers of darkness can do about it. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you are exalted to the right hand of the Father. We give you thanks that as we gather here, you are present with us here. We give you thanks that as a simple means of grace are given here, provided here, exercised here. It is these simple means, the world can't see it, these simple means that advance your kingdom, these simple means by which men are changed. We thank you for this. We pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted in us, made greater in us. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.